This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, Scheme Month is rumbling, bumbling, stumbling along with the second installment uh, in this series. We're going to talk all about attacking coverages, building off of last week's show where we talked about how to diagnose coverage. And with me this week, ready to discuss his positive Viagra test, it's David Newman. Okay, explain please. Uh, Chad Ochocinco. Mr. Chad Johnson, uh, a name that is apropos in this case, said that he used to take Viagra before games, effectively as the double entendre of performance-enhancing drugs, because it it, it increases blood flow, and that helped him perform on the football field. And and this story is just wrapped up in all of the things that I love so much. It's got double entendres. It's got Johnson jokes. Uh, it's a little on the wild side. It, it is, it is, it's perfect. It is chef's kiss perfection. I love every second of this story. Unbelievable, man. Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco and Tio just continuing to try to stay relevant. Like, Owens running forties against Tyree Kill and shit like that. Like, I mean, honestly, it's on, it's guys. better than the the way wide receivers are acting now, where it's basically Twitter beef of like, I'm better than you. Did you see Mike Evans uh, and Keenan yeah. Allen got into it because he's like, Hey, man, like, don't basically, I didn't do it, but also you're not on my level. It's like that's not. I don't want that. No, I want wide receivers like taking Viagra before games. I want innovative <laughs> celebrations. I, this is the stuff I live for. I don't care whether or not Mike Evans thinks he's better than Keenan Allen. That that's not interesting to me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm here for it. I love I love a little trash talk. I feel like you get a lot of that kind of stuff in the NBA too, and it's just and it's excellent. And so I, I appreciate like the lighthearted back and forth stuff. Yeah, I just don't think it's lighthearted with a lot of these players though. I think it's like it's kind Maybe, it's kind of yeah. mean, especially when you think of uh, like Michael Thomas. I feel like Michael Thomas is like mean about it. Like, and, 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 and you know what? He probably has a right to be. I get it. If I were that good at something, I don't know that 
I wouldn't tell everyone that I was that good at something all of the time. It's like, hi, sure. my name's Oscar. I'm fantastic at taking Viagra before games. I mean, I would just tell everyone <laughs> all of the time. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, thanks for tuning in to the, the podcast sponsored by Viagra. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> We're going to talk this week about attacking coverages. If you haven't already, make sure that you go and listen to last week's episode, the first one in Ski Month, uh, and the first one really in Football 101, where we talk about understanding coverages because a lot of the things that we're going to talk about on this week's episode are going to be tie, are going to tie back to some of the concepts that we discussed last week. So make sure you go and download, listen to that episode, watch the Patreon videos. We have three videos up that give you some visuals on cover two, cover four, cover six, cover three, and identifying zone blitzes. You know, it, it, I think everyone can identify cover three, but, uh, or not everyone can identify cover three. Cover three is what the Niners are known for, and that's something that maybe the the fans are used to being able to try and find. But cover four and cover six have some nuance to them, and the Niners are playing more and more of that coverage. So I think there's a lot of value in going and taking a look at those Patreon videos. Uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash better rivals, you'll be able to catch all of those videos. Uh, and so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the weaknesses of those coverages and how offenses really choose to attack them from a, a theoretic perspective, from a theoretical perspective, uh, uh, based on just the geometries on the field. And then we're going to create some more videos on Patreon so you can get a visual of what those look like. So it's going to be a pattern over the course of Scheme Month. We're going to talk a bit about it on the show and then give you some visual examples on the Patreon. So uh, it's fun. This is my favorite month of, of our football year, uh, I think, outside of when the Niners are whooping butt. Uh, and so let's, let's get into it because I think it's always fun to, to talk a little bit about the, the X's and O's, the kinesthetic chess uh, that it is that, that makes me want to talk about football. So... Let's talk about the weaknesses of zone coverage, David. Let's give us a refresher uh, from last week's episode about the field zones and how they're divided up. Yeah, absolutely. So so remember when we talked about how defenses want to divide up the field so that they can cover, right? We, we talked about really 10 potential zones that you have available. So you have six underneath zones and then four deep zones. Um, but as we talked about last week, right, how many pass rushers you decide to send determines how many of those zones that you essentially have to vacate, right? Because yeah, sure. You could drop 10 guys into coverage and, and get one man for every one of those potential zones. And then you're feeling really great about your coverage, but you got one pass rusher at that point, which just nobody is going to do it at any point in an NFL game. So as you add pass rushers in there, we have to pull those coverage players out. Um, and those zones that become vacated or, uh, really what it turns into is is you have defenders that are asked to cover more ground so that all of that area still gets accounted for, um, and, and those defenders become a little bit stretched. And so those are the areas that we're going to focus in on with zone coverages, those areas that have either been vacated by pass rushers um, or where defenders are especially, especially stretched between zones. And if you're thinking about man coverages, what are the weaknesses of man coverage as well? Because you have a defender for every eligible receiver, the weakness of man coverage really comes down to the ability of your individual defenders uh, to, to play well and their ability to communicate in situations where the defenders might need to switch or where route combinations put them in a situation where they're not going to be able to stick to their receiver. That's a bit more straightforward to understand. And, and I think that this is why a lot of teams don't play a ton of man coverage is because it requires... 
either superior skills, superior athletes, or really superiorly intelligent athletes in order to execute very, very well. Um, I think if you're looking at a team that's going to execute something like this very well, it's going to be Bill Belichick. His teams are going to be very good at something like this. Um, and he's, you know, fairly good at finding some really high dollar uh, corners. Uh, Stefan Gilmore, not bad at football. Uh, and, and he's, I think, a mastermind at teaching players how to do some of this stuff and preparing them for these situations. But not everyone has that advantage. Not everyone does. And, yep. and if you don't, and, and you've the- got to account for it somehow. Exactly, because there's no question that like if you could choose right in a, in a perfect ideal world, I think every defensive coordinator would play man coverage all the time, because if you have the players uh, capable of doing that, then there there are really no weaknesses. Right. So if you have excellent players in the secondary that can match up in man coverage at a, at a high level, um, well, then you always have every single receiver accounted for on the offense. And, and so that's, it's definitely the best way to play coverage. If you can do it, I think um, the, the reality is, as we all know, is like there aren't a lot of great secondary players out there and, and there aren't a lot of teams that are able to put together um, the number of those players that are required to really do that with a high frequency. And so you see a lot of teams leaning heavily on zone defenses, um, you know, both at the NFL and the college level, especially um, because they need to figure out other ways to cover all that ground, but not, you know, try to try to give their guys some help, right? Where they're not having to man up every single play with a, a receiver that just might be better than them. Yeah, and, and simultaneously, even Bill Belichick, while he definitely leans single high and, and cover one and playing man coverage, is not going to play that coverage all of the time because then there, there's a predictability element that gets it to it. And, and that's when you start talking about attacking coverages just based on, well, I know what you're going to do. And so I'm going to be able to counter it. But outside of predictability, how do offenses attack the weaknesses of a defense when they're primarily in man coverage, when they're you know going to lean heavy towards that type uh, of coverage? David, what's one of the first ways that an offensive coordinator is going to think to themselves, all right, if I've got man, this is how I'm going to beat it? Uh, so I think the first thing that you look at is the individual matchups, right? So if you have the ability to create mismatches and isolate um, maybe one of your better receiving threats against one of their defenders that you know just can't quite match up, I think that's the the simplest way to do it, right? Is, is So if you imagine um, teams that have that like top flight receiver, you know, guys like Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas and like all of these elite receivers that are out there, you're going to see those teams um, a lot of times try to get them isolated on maybe one side of the field by themselves, right? So maybe they go to a three by one type formation where you've got three receivers on one side and then I've got my stud receiver over to that single side. Um, and I'm just going to hope if they play man coverage and they don't give him help, that's a problem. Like I'm going to win that matchup every single time I feel like as an offense, because I have the superior player. And so I think that's the easiest, simplest thing to do when you're looking at beat man coverage is okay. How do I get my best guys isolated in one-on-one situations? Yeah, this is, and it's a check that happens often, especially in three by one where you do get that corner manned up and all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is, where your quarterback is thinking to themselves, if it's a matchup I like, you throw to the matchup uh, because you you know that you're hopefully going to win. And, and offensive players are usually at a bit of an advantage because they know what they're doing and, yeah. and defenders don't, which is why in those camp videos where like you always see wide receivers and corners in one-on-one drills <laughs> and, the, and the wide receiver just completely smokes the defensive back and 
everyone's retweeting it on Twitter and it's like, oh my God, can you believe this wide receiver completely, you know, smoked this DB? It's like, well, I mean, yeah, like you would expect that in a one-on-one drill with no field area help and no safety help and no underneath defender where the defender doesn't know what the route is and, and the wide receiver does. That's, that's, if the wide receiver doesn't win, I think it's, that's probably more embarrassing than if the wide receiver uh, beats the DB. And also the receiver in the video took 17 cuts in 10 seconds to get open and it just like is <laughs> oh, fucking yeah, quarterback those. is dead. Um, those. I love it. Yeah, so, I love it. Fun stuff. But it's, so you're going to ISO your player. And if and if you're not going to lean on isolation to beat man coverage, one of the other ways that you're going to try to beat man coverage is by utilizing crossing routes. Crossing routes are difficult for defenders to run with uh, because you're really running away from a defender. You're running across the field, and and you're having to cover that player while navigating through traffic and not really having a whole hell of a lot of help. And so it's it's difficult because you've got a dodge you've got to dodge traffic. You're basically playing Frogger in the middle of the field. <laughs> And, and at the same time, you're going up against someone who is probably pretty fast and they're just running in a straight line away from you. And, and all of a sudden you're in a situation that might be a bit more advantageous to the, uh, the wide receiver. So crossing routes also very difficult, but even if you don't have crossing routes, even just like a route across the field is going to be problematic when you're in man coverage, because if the, if the quarterback just leads the ball a little bit to the wide receiver and you as a DB are in that hit pocket, it's going to be hard for you to make up that ground uh, just simply because of where you're positioned. Right. And so crossing routes on their own, uh, definitely a difficult thing to be able to cover for um, man coverage defenders on defense. But a lot of times it's made even worse by pairing those crossing routes um, with things that create these rub or pick situations, right? So things like bunch formations where you have multiple receivers uh, that are kind of aligned tightly together, right? Usually there are two or three receivers there. Um, You get switch releases, meaning that at the line of scrimmage, when those guys take off after the snap, they're kind of exchanging paths, right? And crossing again to create those rub and pick situations so that you get those defenders that are playing man coverage, um, hopefully running into each other a little bit, running into another receiver, right? You're trying to cause some confusion there right at the snap that leads to getting one of your guys free. And so um, you pair that type of stuff right at the line of scrimmage with crossing routes where you're having to chase a guy running full speed all the way across the field. um, And it becomes a very difficult thing to do for a lot of defenses. Now, contrary to what Greg Williams would lead you to believe, defensive coordinators are not all idiots. They've got to have rules for dealing with some of this stuff. They've got to have rules for dealing with bunches, for dealing with crossing routes, for dealing with the kinds of things that they're going to see every day. So what what are some of the rules that they will employ when they see things like a bunch formation or a stack formation that they know is probably going to lead towards a pick or some kind of confusion near the line of scrimmage that would be advantageous if you're in man coverage? Right. So there's really two common ways I think you're going to see most defenses choose to match up with those type of things. So um, they can either choose to lock up with those receivers, meaning um, they're they're just going to identify who their guy is pre-snap. Each defender is over that bunch, and they're going to follow that guy wherever he goes, regardless of whether they release inside or outside or they try to create those rub situations. Um, they're just going to lock up with their guy and, and hope that it works out. And a lot of times the way that they choose to do that, if they're going to lock, is they'll have one guy. So if we just imagine we'll use this as an example, like a three-man bunch, right? So um, if you imagine three receivers tightly together um, at the line of scrimmage, 
the guy in the middle a lot of times is usually the furthest up on the line of scrimmage and then the other two guys are back and so the defense will kind of match that type of look where they have the the defender that's responsible for that number two that point guy in the bunch that's up there he'll kind of get up and press and then the other two guys will play off and that way they all have a little bit of space to work as you get those kind of different releases so that's one way that you can do it Um, and then the other way you can do it is to switch so you essentially say okay we're going to play a little bit off or you can even align initially and like just have a couple of the guys switch but you're you're basically going to say the guy that releases to me is the one that i'm going to pick up so if i'm the outside most corner on this bunch i'm going to take the receiver who releases furthest outside Right. If I'm the inside most defender in that bunch, I'm going to take the defender that releases furthest to the inside. And so you can do that. And so those are kind of the two ways you'll see defenses try to respond to that. Going to be a lot of geometry in this one. A lot of geometry. So get rid of triangles uh, <laughs> is really the bunch formation that David's talking about. Triangles make an appearance later in the pod for a very, very different reason. Uh, but one, one of the things that you'll hear often, one of the phrases you'll hear often here when you're dealing with like trips or bunch is banjo or banjo coverage. What the hell is banjo coverage and what does that have to do with how you deal with some of this in man coverage? Um, banjo is so essentially uh, just a term that's used for that type of switch concept, right? So um, where you, if you imagine like say, let's use a two, um, two man example here where I just got two receivers kind of lined tightly together. Banjo just means we're going to play this inside out, right? So uh, again, I'm the outside guy. I'm going to take the guy that comes outside. If I'm the inside guy, I'm taking the one that comes inside. And so a lot of times it's just a call or a check that defenses will go to because a lot of times the way that they're getting to these bunch formations is through the use of maybe some motion, right? Or some sort of shift. And so um, once they get there, if they weren't already had that call as part of the defense because of they, them, the offense not aligning in that bunch or stack look to begin with, as you get that motion and they see what's happening, they're like, okay, banjo, banjo, right? Could be an example of like a call that would let them know that, hey, we're going to switch this up. How did the knocking two fists together become the universal football symbol for banjo? This is what I want to know. Because you just did it. I, you, fans who are listening right now, you cannot see David, but he did the, the, the hitting of the fists to indicate banjo. And, and that's what the Jim Harbaugh Niners used to indicate were, was banjo. But that's, UCDBs do that, do that yeah. all the time. They're like, they're going to knock fists. That's become banjo. <laughs> how, how, that's not how you play a banjo. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, I don't have a good answer for that one. I didn't even realize I was doing it. Yeah, you just kind of get so used to seeing those guys communicate pre-snap, and um, and and you know they have to have those little hand signals and and stuff like that that uh, make sure that you're on the same page because a lot of times you don't have time. You know what they want to use motion for, and, and the 49ers are excellent at this, um, which is you know using shifts in motion to create kind of confusion on the defense, right? And, and force these last second adjustments. Um, and this is really the way we're kind of getting into motion now, which is is kind of the final thing that we wanted to bring up, which can really be used to the offense's advantage, both in man and zone. But I think um, especially useful against man coverage for sure, because you can hopefully create some of those communication breakdowns right and um you know if if one guy makes the check and thinks they're switching and then the guy that he's communicating with doesn't see it because the ball snapped then you get a receiver that's wide open right because you have two defenders trying to cover the same player or, or, or something like that so that's the benefit of using motion and shifts um as an offense yeah i really don't understand why more coaches don't use motion heavily because it, it gives you so many advantages. And the Niners are, I think they lead the league in, in, most, in motion utilization. By like if a not wide like margin, the, actually. Yeah they, yeah, they do it on like an, it's like over 75% of their plays, I believe. 
it's so weird because I mean, obviously we watch a lot of Niner football, but every now and again, uh, I'll watch uh, every now and again, there's a lot of times where I'm watching another team and I was watching the Cowboys and I just remember thinking to myself, what is wrong? Because nobody was moving. Uh, and it just, they had like zero motion pre-snap and it just seems so weird and so odd. You're just so conditioned to seeing uh, someone move to give you a tell as to what the coverage type is or to try to get advantageous angles, even in the run game, or to try to get advantageous coverage situations against man, that when you see a, a more straightforward lineup and go offense, you kind of like look at it and give it the, the puppy dog, like tilt yeah. my head and what's going on here kind of thing. But it's motion is definitely one of the things that, that a team will lean on in order to beat man coverage. So if that's the the primary strategies for beating man coverage from an offensive perspective, you're going to try to ISO your receiver and just create an advantageous matchup. You're going to try to get crossing routes where you're running across the field uh, to gain some distance between you and your coverage defender, or you're going to have some rubber pick plays that will also give you an extra advantage there, uh, all maybe with a, with a side dish of motion there to try to generate some advantageous situations then those are all the tools really in a broad sense that an offensive coordinator will use during a play in order to get open against man. So what tools are you going to deploy against zone coverages in order to beat them? And we'll talk about that before uh, or right after we talk about uh, our little uh, our little bet online here. We got a mid-roll, David. Got to pay some bills, man. We do got to pay some bills. And sports are coming back. Uh, MLB, maybe not so much. But uh, <laughs> they're, they're giving it their best. <laughs> hey, man, it's always Florida. Florida is always the one. <laughs> but sports are coming back, uh, despite Florida's best attempts. And so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place, man. It's, it's, I don't know when they wrote this, but uh, it's finally kicking <laughs> off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, except Florida, Bet Online sat down with former pro players, Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling, get this, Fandemic. <laughs> no, they didn't. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. All yes, right. they did. Let's do it. I love, every, I love every second of it. You might think that's bad. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. We've also got something from DealDash. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Get a car on DealDash.com, <laughs> damn it. Like your life depends on it. Here's how it works. It's like an auction. I mean, it's an auction site. I would hope so. But every time, uh, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. Not a lot of the sense. Kicker, the kicker, so it's, it's making sense, David. It's making sense. The, the kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. Wow. That seems, it just seems like it's, 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 tailor-made for one of those like like bird dippers that like just taps the keyboard uh every now and again to just continue the bid uh look i don't i don't you want to try our uh fantasy football draft like that this year (laughs) (laughs) 
is it going to be better than the guy who drafted six quarterbacks in one year? Can't be uh, worse. And finished, and, and finished second to last in the league. <laughs> now, we missed the cutoff for a promo code for this bad boy. So we're going to co-opt another pod's promo code uh, about a show that we like, The Sopranos. So if you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use offer code SOPRANO or go to DealDash.fm forward slash SOPRANO. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M forward slash SOPRANO. Got to spell it out like a rap song. And if you can't spell mm-hmm. SOPRANO, we just, I don't know what to tell you. We, we yeah, only can spell out Deal Dash, not Soprano, so you're on your own <laughs> there. Uh, soprano, Soprano, let's talk about beating zone coverage because this is what you're here for. Uh, and really, the, the story of beating zone coverage is all about winning with geometry. I know that you were told that there would be no math, but there is a little bit of math. There's always math. Yeah, it's, it's triangles, TVs, man, dog, television, <laughs> In order, repeat it. This is the test. Uh, except for forget everything except for the triangles. Uh, this is this is really what you need to win with. Um, let's talk about how you basically overload zones because this is ultimately what beating zone coverage is all about. It, it, you want to have more receivers in an area than there are zone defenders to cover them, and there are three ways that you're going to achieve that. You're either going to stretch defenses horizontally, you're going to stretch them vertically. Or are you going to stretch them with triangles? So, David, what are some horizontal stretches that will attack some defenses? And, and what are the problems that those present for some of the defenses that we broke down last week? Right. So horizontal stretches are, are all about stretching sideline to sideline, right? So I'm using the width of the field to my advantage. And so um, a lot of times these type of stretches are really going to focus in on those underneath coverage defenders that we've been talking about, right? So the guys that are kind of a little bit more shallow in that, you know, drop into that 10, 12 yard area, those type of routes in the short and intermediate, those are usually going to be the ones that you most commonly see involved in horizontal stretches. So if you imagine a cover three defense, right, which we again talked about, you remember four underneath coverage defenders, in that cover three defense. So if because I send you've got four underneath defenders, three deep defenders, yep. that's seven because there's four rushers. So if I send as an offense, all five of my eligible receivers on underneath routes, well, I've got the numbers advantage, right? I've got one extra guy that they can't cover. So uh, a really easy common example of that is a, a concept called all curls, where basically um, I'm going to have my outside two outside most receivers running curl routes. I'm going to usually have a tight end maybe in the middle of the field. that's kind of sitting down, um, you know, 10 yards over the ball. And then I'm going to have two guys out into the flat. And so I basically get this stretch across the whole width of the field and I'm going to have one guy open, right? I only have again, four underneath defenders that can cover these guys. Whoever they determine that they're not going to be able to cover is going to be my guy that's open and it's going to be able to get the ball. And so you can do it that way, right, where you look uh, to go kind of across the entire length of the field. But I, I think more commonly, you're really targeting a specific area of that defense. So rather than I'm going to send five on four and, and really use all of my receivers, I'm looking for those smaller, maybe three on two or two on one type of advantages. You know who was really good at all curls? Jim Harbaugh's Colin Kaepernick led 49ers. It felt like every third and four-ish, 
it was some version of like all curls or sticks and cap just like picked the one guy who was open and threw it really hard. Uh, and, and that worked. I mean, it worked. It wasn't, it wasn't like overly complex, but cap had to pick out the one guy who'd be open and he did and it worked. Uh, but I I do remember a lot of like, okay, they're going to distribute their routes horizontally across these zones and, and it's going to work. Um, and, and it doesn't, you know, sometimes winning in football doesn't need to be overly complex. And oftentimes it is just a numbers game. It's like, I've got more people here than you can account for happens in the run game all the time happens from the pass rush perspective also happens in coverage. We're like, I've got five guys, you've got four. I just have to find the dude that's open. Yep. Yep. And, and you're going to see in the, I mean, this is why, you know, we didn't get too much into, um, you know, match coverages or some of the more advanced thing defenses are doing, but this is why that stuff kind of came about defensively, right? It's because offenses just got so good at stretching defenses in this way, right? And, and being able to um, flood areas of their zone and, and overload that and get an, a free guy that, you know, you have to start kind of adapting and changing your rules there. And so, um, yeah, you do that horizontally and then and then you look to do that, I think, vertically is the next one, right? So rather than going sideline to sideline as, a, as an offense, I'm going to be going goal line to goal line. I'm really looking to stretch the field vertically there. Um, you can get those in either two or three man variations. Um, and so that means I think, think of it as like levels that I'm running receivers at, right? So if I have generally speaking from a, from a route perspective, I have short routes, I have intermediate routes and I have deep routes. So if I send somebody to every single one of those levels, well, that's a three man vertical stretch. If I just choose two of those that I want to attack, that's my two man vertical stretch. Yeah. So a a good example of this kind of two man or high low stretch is going to be something like the smash concept. And, and this is a concept that's going to target a specific defender by putting a route on either side of that individual defender. And so when you think of the smash concept, it's going to be a corner route uh, paired with another underneath route below that defender who's got to sink and get depth. And so that defender's thinking to themselves, okay, I've got this dude in front of me, but then I've also got this dude behind me. And, and oftentimes if they get caught in no man's land, it's really up to the quarterback to just pick the one that's open. And the quarterback is going to read deep to short. The quarterback is basically going to be like, if that defender doesn't get depth, I'm taking the corner route because the corner route is going to run in front of the safety. It's going to run in front of the deep defender. And that underneath defender, remember we talked last week about the importance of depth. If they don't get depth, it's easy money for a big play. And because it's towards the sideline, it's great because you've got a natural kind of barrier there that's going to prevent that ball from getting caught uh, from another direction. So now if that defender kind of does get depth, well, then you just throw underneath. And then you get what the defense has given you. You get some yards, you, you matriculate down the field, <laughs> and, and, you start, and you start to go and, uh, and get some yardage there. So that, that conflict and putting defenders in conflict is such, uh, it, it's a really important concept to understand because really, really good offensive coordinators make their money by isolating defenders and putting them in conflict and, and what they'll do is they'll, I mean, really smart ones like, like Kyle Shanahan are going to take your worst defender and the, the one who can't really process what to do rightly uh, or what to do correctly. And they're going to target them, put them in conflict, and then let your, let your quarterback eat. Right. And, and so he likes to really attack those middle of the field defenders. So like smash, right, uh, as, as a concept we think about is, is going to really attack 
kind of an outside defender usually. So if we think of like, uh, for instance, a cover two defense um, where I've got my cornerback that's that flat defender, he's the one that gets kind of caught in the middle on that smash concept. So like you mentioned, it's it's so important for him to be able to get depth. He has to get enough depth to make the quarterback worried about throwing that corner out so that he drops it off underneath. Um, but he's actually you know, primarily a coverage player, right? He's a cornerback that is, that's his main job, right? We're not really asking him to get too involved in the run game very much. We don't really care what he's doing there a whole lot, to be honest. Um, But what Shanahan does is likes to move that game to the inside part of the field and really go after some of those linebackers and safeties that you have, like in the hook area, for instance, um, and, and get a guy sitting in front of him and, uh, you know, one running behind him a little bit more. And because those defenders just aren't as good at coverage, they're, they're just, they, for whatever reason, more of them are a little bit more apt to cheat up and want to take care of that short route that's right in front of their face. And it opens up that space in the intermediate level um, to kind of create the big plays. And this is what I would say the 49ers do most often, right? This kind of vertical stretch, I would say, is really kind of their bread and butter. And it really is a lot of two-man game stuff in the short and intermediate area. You know, we've talked a lot. If you're a longtime listener, you you know the 49ers don't really spend a ton of time under Kyle Shanahan taking a lot of vertical shots deep. They don't throw the ball in that 20-plus range a whole lot, but they throw it a lot to the intermediate level. Um, And it's on these type of vertical stretches where they want to pick out, you know, one or two of those defenders that are in the hook area, in the curl area, put a guy in front of them, put a guy behind him, and, and kind of make him choose and hope that he chooses wrong. Yeah, there's, there's a route in the Shanahan playbook, and it's called the basic route. Um, and, and Shanahan seems to have like 85 different routes that break in in the, min- in the intermediate area. Like his, his route tree for wide receivers is like 20-some-odd pages long. And, and sometimes there's just subtle differences be- between these routes and where they break in, the angle at which they break in, what the stem looks like. But he's got a route in, that, in his playbook called basic. And, and I always, I've always thought to myself, like, it's, I mean, why, why call it basic? Oftentimes it's called a dig, right? And, and, and you think to yourself, why call it basic? It's because really it's that route is at the foundation of a lot of what Shanahan does. It's the, one of the most basic things that he runs because it's one of the most effective, that kind of 15 ish in breaking route. You can pair so many things underneath that route and you're going to get a high, low stretch on a linebacker. And I mean, you can do that with running backs underneath. You can do that with a fullback underneath. You can do it with a drag route underneath. You can do it with a wide receiver underneath. You can do it with so many things underneath. It's a little bit like, like Bubba Gump talking about all the ways you cook shrimp. It's like, <laughs> there's an endless number of ways to put it together. And, and, and then you just pair a basic route on, on top of it. And you've got that high low stretch. And, and this is where you begin to see the genius of, having so many tools in your toolbox to effectively do the same thing, which is stretch a defender who's not really supposed to be great at coverage in coverage and then just let your quarterback do his thing. Right. It's a, it's a lot of creating a similar picture for your quarterback, right? So um, you you have a, a bunch of different ways that you can create this type of scenario um, in Shannon, not only through like the route combinations that he's going to get, but um, as we kind of mentioned earlier, how much they use motion and shifts and formations to be able to create advantages in this area. And so you put that all together and it, it gives the defense a whole lot to think about. But really from the quarterback's perspective, right, you have kind of these similar pictures that you're looking for, right, where I know that I'm going to have, okay, I've got my vertical stretch here 
in the middle of the field. This is my key defender that I'm reading as I drop back. I'm going to see what he does, and that's going to help me know where to go with the football, right? Whether I'm going to that intermediate route that I want to as my primary target or whether I'm going to dump it down um, kind of underneath him and, and hope that that guy can create some yards after the catch. So we've got horizontal stretches, uh, and if you're, if you I used to always have trouble figuring out which one was up and down and which one was left right. Just like horizontal is the horizon, right? So it's always going to be the one that goes left right. And you got vertical stretches; those go north south. Well, then you've got triangle stretches, and triangle stretches are where the fun really happens because this is one of the true innovations of Bill Walsh's West Coast offense, where he was able to pair both vertical and horizontal stretches in one route combination to be able to beat multiple types of coverages with one play call. Zone beaters traditionally ran more wide receivers than you had defenders in a zone. And and basically it was like, if if I know that you're going to have two defenders here, I'm going to run three defenders in that area. If you think of of cover two, right, and you get three verticals, well, one of those verticals is not going to get covered. If you've got cover three, you've got four verticals, right? If you're in a horizontal stretch, but then that requires you knowing what that coverage look is going to be. And as an offensive coordinator, sometimes you guess right, you do. But a lot of times you don't. And what you don't want to have happen is basically have your quarterback go, all right, I'm really expecting cover three here. I'm really expecting cover three here. Oh man, it's cover four and I'm running four verticals. Cool, now what? You want to be able to have an answer if you don't quite get the look that you do. And you do that by having triangles built into your route distribution. And, and triangles are really good because they do allow you to attack multiple types of coverages by stretching them both horizontally and vertically. And, and that allows you to win against multiple coverages. So what, what does that look like when, and why is it that a triangle is effective against multiple types of coverages? Right. So it's, you know, kind of going back to the example that we have with the smash concept, right? So um, the coverage that we gave there is in cover two, right? So if I have a cover two defense, I know I'm going to get a cover two defense and I run smash. Um, I'm going to be able to largely isolate the cornerback, the the flat defender in that. And uh, I'm going to have one guy open, right? If he, if he decides to cheat up, I'm going to get the play I want. And I'm going to be able to throw the corner over the top of him. Um, or if he actually does a, a good job and gets depth in his drop um, and he takes away that corner route from me, well, then I still have an option. I still can drop it off to my underneath guy on the little hitch route here, and I'm still going to pick up positive yards for my offense. Well, if suddenly that's a cover three defense, well, then now my corner is going to be my cornerback is going to be able to take away the deeper route in his deep third. So he's got the corner out there. And then I've got my curl flat defender that's getting out there and he's hanging out right in that hitch area. And so if both those guys are doing their jobs, well, I've taken away that concept, right? So adding now a third receiver into the mix and giving me the ability to both stretch vertically and horizontally, well, now I still have an option, right? So I can kind of, instead of reading that one key defender, I'm going to read this triangle area. And if they give me a defensive look that is good against, you know, horizontal stretches, well, that's the one that I'm going to go with, right? If they give me a defensive look that is better to, to attack with vertical stretches, well, I have that option as well. So it's, uh, I, I have kind of a two-man horizontal and a two-man vertical within the same concept, right? So one guy kind of ends up acting as, as sort of the pivot, right? That can work in either the horizontal uh, or excuse me, in both the horizontal and the vertical stretch elements. Yeah. And the, the route concept that David just described is, is one that Bill Walsh really made popular. It's the snag route. 
where you've got the corner, you've got the underneath route, and then you've got this kind of little route that sits uh, in the, the middle area where you're going to have one of those defenders vacate if they do get out to the edge to try to get that two-man concept. That's the high-low stretch. Now, you've got a bit of a vertical stretch that's moving towards the inside of the field, maybe a little inside of the numbers, and, and now you've got this three-person route combination that your quarterback is still going to kind of read deep to short, but is going to be able to have options against multiple coverages. And so it, it is, it's one of those cat-and-mouse games where defensive coaches are going to try to, to sacrifice a little bit of field area in order to try to rush passers. Well, then what do you do? You throw out receivers that are going to take advantage of the places that those, de- that those defensive coordinators have vacated and, and now is when you need to rely a bit more on your quarterback to make the right reads um, in order to take advantage of, of those of those deficiencies in in coverage. So the, the West Coast offense was one of the, the the first offenses to really employ triangle stretches in a way that really took defenses by storm. This is one of the reasons why the West Coast offense was so effective for so long. It's because usually defensive coordinators were only accustomed to having to deal with vertical or horizontal. Now, all of a sudden, they have to deal with both. And this is what spurred some innovation on the defensive side to get to a place where you've got maybe zone blitzes or match coverages or things like that that you had to employ in order to really show multiple looks on defense after the snap because if not, you were going to get torn up. Yeah, and that's really, I mean, you mentioned it, um, you know, with the match coverage. So if you watch the Patreon video, um, we talked about this a little bit uh, once we got to the fire zone section there in, in, in the last video and kind of um, what the, the, the kind of primary difference between what a match zone coverage is and, and just kind of a typical zone that we've been talking about over the course of the pods. And, and the difference is that they are looking to specific receivers to tell them what their assignment is, right? R- rather than just saying, hey, I'm going to drop to the hook or I'm going to drop to the curl and I'm just going to kind of take what comes to me. Well, when that happens, when you run those type of defenses, all of these offenses are so good at running all of these stretches that we've been talking about that they just get put in this situation over and over where there's no right answer for them, right? They, they just can't possibly cover two guys that are in their area. Um, and so they're kind of screwed. And so when you change that um, perspective for those guys and change that key from, okay, I need to get to this area on the field to, I need to look at this specific receiver. Well, now I can start to kind of roll pieces of my coverage over to, to handle some of these stretches, right? So if it becomes a three-man triangle stretch over to this one side, well, if I have a, a, a receiver, excuse me, a defender that's keyed on the number three receiver that goes over there, well, now he can kind of roll his coverage that way, right? And I can get the numbers that I need to be able to handle all of these different things that offenses are throwing out for me. So that's kind of the, the why behind why a lot of NFL teams are starting to, or not starting to, they've been doing it for a while, but why that is becoming, I think the more dominant type of zone coverage um, at all levels of the field, because offenses are just so good at attacking them in these ways that they need to be able to figure out a different way to approach it. Yeah. The triangle stretch is not something that is new. I mean, obviously it, it came into the, the football world really by, by Bill Walsh in the West coast offense, but by 2000, you've got BYU and Norm Chow, that did a seminar for the American Football Coaches of America. And, and he talked about how the BYU offense was basically entirely built off triangles. And, and they're very explicit about calling them triangle reads. And, and the diagrams they have in, in this presentation is really all about creating triangles and boxes with your route combinations. And it, it is really neat to take a look. If you've got access to the All-22, 
for Shanahan or for any really good offense, you'll see triangles on the field. Yep. You'll see, especially if you wait until the quarterback gets to the top of their drop or maybe just one hitch in, you'll pause the tape and you'll see a triangle or maybe two, or you'll see maybe a triangle over on one side and then maybe you'll see like a high-low stretch over on the other or you'll see an isolation on one side and a triangle on the other. And that's basically telling you a couple things, right? It's it's basically pairing ways to beat defenses and giving you multiple options just based on what you might get. You've got ISO on one side to beat man coverage. You've got a triangle stretch on the other to beat different types of zone coverages. And now your quarterback has some defined reads. You can say, do you think this is man coverage? Maybe you go to the man coverage side. Is this a triangle read? Maybe you go to the zone side. And, and this is how you give your quarterback options so that they have the tools to be successful on any given play, if you don't guess right about what that coverage look is going to be, yeah, I, I think that's actually such such a great point um, that does it, that gets overlooked a lot as far as like putting different types of concepts to different sides of the field, right? There's uh, this like these kind of derogatory terms that get tossed out for quarterbacks that like, oh, he doesn't read the entire field, right? He's not a, he's not a full field read quarterback. He's only a, a half field read type guy. Um, and he can only handle, you know, where, where I have concepts to one side of the field type of thing. Well, the reality is like, there's, there's not a lot of passing concepts that are going to really take you all the way from say the right side of the field to the left, right. Where you're going one, two, three, four, five, like they, they exist. There are definitely some out there and, and some of your, um, you know, better quarterbacks, you know, the Brady's of the world, Manning's of the world when he was there, like maybe they do a little bit more of that, but it's not like the dominant thing. Like largely what they're doing is, you know, as an offense, you're structuring, you want to, again, have options for multiple types of coverage because you're, you're never going to be a hundred percent sure what you're going to get in a given situation. And so you may have, yeah, like you said, a horizontal stretch on one side, a vertical stretch on the other that, that give me options against different types of coverages. And so the quarterback then is doing a lot of work pre-snap and and in those kind of immediate moments after the snap, confirming coverage, being able to diagnose, okay, what side am I working here? So you might have, you know, a, a, a two-man read to one side, a three-man read to the other side, and that's going to be dictated by the coverage look that he gets. And so it, it still ends up like, yes, you could maybe argue that, yes, he's reading the full field because he's reading pre-snap what the defense is doing, what their coverage shell is, and then he's kind of narrowing things down based on that information to one side of the field or the other. But that is a, that's a far more common way that a, that a given play um, ends up playing out than, than a guy going, oh, I'm going to go one to two to three to four to five all the way across the field. It's just not a common thing in the NFL. Well, when we, when we were talking to Zach Robinson, uh, who's now the, the quarterback's coach for the Rams, he was talking a lot about his process when he would get to the line of scrimmage when he played quarterback. And it was, okay, what do I think this defense is doing? It's a pre-snap read and then a post-snap confirmation. And, and so you, th you, you basically build your hypothesis about what you think the look is going to be based off of your keys, what the players are doing. And, and then you think to yourself, okay, if this is what is actually happening, then I'm going to go here. You snap the ball, you confirm that that's the case, and then you execute. And if after the snap you realize, oh no, this is different than what I thought, then you've got to be able to work quickly enough in your mind and with your feet to move to the other read. Yep. And, and that is, you know, when you think about slow processing, that's where it begins to really hamper you. Um, but, but it's still a process of pre-snap read, post-snap confirmation 
that really any quarterback will go through, whether you are Manning or Garoppolo or, or really anyone. And, and the players that can do that very quickly with a high degree of effectiveness are going to generally be your better quarterbacks. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, from, from a quarterback perspective, right, it's all about um, trying to, I think, isolate on, on kind of these small components, right? Because you just can't, it's like, uh, as we talked about a lot with Zach in, in that interview, it's like, you know, it's not like Madden when you're back there, right? You can't just see the full field and you can't see what every coverage defender is doing. You have to kind of be able to hone your vision to specific keys, right? So mentioned a little bit before, like key defenders. So that's like one way that they can do it where they're just going to um, isolate a single defender and, and they're going to make their determination on where to go with the football based on the action of that defender. You may be reading a smaller area, but you got to break it up into these smaller chunks that you actually can process as you're dropping back, as you have a pass rusher that's closing in on you and you're trying to navigate the pocket. Like you have to be able to focus in on these smaller chunks. That's going to tell you where to go with the football. So it's going to be a lot of geometry and a lot of stretching, a lot of vertical, a lot of horizontal, a lot of triangle. But ultimately, what you're trying to do as an offense is you're trying to flex that defense until it breaks. And you do that with horizontal stretches, you do that with vertical stretches, and you do that ultimately uh, with the ultimate form of stretch, and that's going to be the triangle stretch. Uh, and so that's how you attack coverages. Uh, you're going to do it with uh, uh, with zone coverages. You're going to do it with man coverages. And ultimately, uh, Kyle Shanahan is a master of all of these. Uh, we're going to have a video up on the Patreon uh, probably this weekend where we give you visual examples of how Kyle Shanahan does this and how he has done it with the 49ers. Uh, the only one that won't be uh, a Niner example, uh, there will be one team that won't be a Niner example, but we won't spoil it right now. Uh, we'll let you wait to see. <laughs> That Patreon video to see which one it is. Uh, maybe it was a player we discussed at the top of the pot. Who knows? We'll see. Who knows? That's a tease. Uh, but That's what that is it right is. there. It is a tease. It is. It's You know, it's it's been a Viagra-themed episode, David. Uh, I figure what, what better way to end than with a little foreplay. Uh, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, my name is Oscar. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, and uh, that's going to be at Better Rivals. David, where can I follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And as always, go Niners.